This episode is sponsored by 511 Tactical, a company who I've used for well over a decade now and who are reaching out to you guys, the audience, to offer you 15% not only off one purchase, but an ongoing 15% that will only ever be trumped if something is even for sale for a higher discount than that 15%. I'm going to give you that discount code in just a moment, but I want to talk about another product and showcase that, and that is the AMP, which is the All Missions Pack. So what they've done with this, they've taken an extremely comfortable backpack, you know, hiking quality with some incredible webbing and straps to really even out that load, but they've added what they call the gear set. I think this is extremely pertinent for us because we are jack-of-all-trades, master of none, and we're not just a firefighter, a police officer. You're a father, you're an athlete, you're a hiker, you're a gun owner, whatever it is that you use. And so each of these sets can be added to the pack or taken off. So for me personally, I have the Shove It kit, which allows me to put in brush gear and actually slide my helmet in there if I deploy on a brush fire. Uh, there is a med pouch, which I think doubles very well for a wash bag. Again, I snap it on if I go to the station and then I can remove it for the next two days when I don't need it. So it allows you to have one backpack that's extremely versatile. There's also an element where if you do have weapons, you're going to the range, you can have a short barrel rifle in there. There's a concealed carry pocket. So extremely versatile all around one specific backpack. So the discount code for this and anything else on their site is SHIELD15, S-H-I-E-L-D-1-5. And as I said, that will get you a discount over and over again if you go to www.511tactical.com. Welcome to episode 307 of Behind the Shield podcast. As always, my name is James Gearing, and this week I am extremely excited to welcome on the show CrossFit legend and retired police officer Freddie Camacho. So this was a great conversation. Freddie talked about his early life where he was on the other side of the law, how he was able to overcome some of those obstacles, enter law enforcement, how CrossFit factored in, and then transitioning out of law enforcement. So a great conversation. Before we get to that interview, like I always say, please just take a moment, go to whichever podcast app you listen to this on, subscribe to the show, leave feedback, and leave a rating. The five-star ratings really do make us more visible for people looking for a podcast like this. And this is a free library of content for you, the audience. So all I ask is you take whatever outlet that you have, share these shows so we can get them to everyone else that needs to hear them. So with that being said, I introduce to you, Freddie Camacho. Enjoy. Well, Freddie, firstly, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the Behind the Shield podcast. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me, man. So very first question, where on planet Earth are we finding you today? <laughs> well, I'm right now, I coach in the morning. On my, I just started a 5 a.m. class on Mondays. It was the only day we didn't do 5 a.m. So coach in the morning, 5 and 6, and then I go back to bed. So you're finding me awake with a cup of coffee in Union City, California, sitting on my patio enjoying a little sun. Brilliant. After, after some extra sleep after I coached. Uh, are you a morning person? No. <laughs> <laughs> they have 5 a.m. class where I where I train and coach, but uh, I, I've never seen it. So I just hear about it. It's an urban legend. <laughs> I coach uh, 5 a.m. and 6 a.m. on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And uh, Mondays I have off from work, but on Wednesdays and Fridays I go to work after that. And then I coach again on Wednesday and Friday night also, So and tonight, but... 
yeah, it's it's the coaching life. It is what it is. It is. All right. Well, I'd love to start at the very beginning. So where were you actually born? And then what was your family unit like? What did your parents do and how many siblings? Um, I'm a, I'm a Bay, I'm a East Bay area boy. Um, I, that's the San Francisco Bay area. I grew up, in, I was born in San Leandro, which is like in, in between Oakland and San Jose. And, um, my parents are still married and still kicking both of them. Um, my dad worked for Union Pacific Railroad, but he didn't work like, as you think of somebody working on the railroad, he was, he was a draftsman at their main offices in San Francisco. And my mom was a nurse. I have two brothers and uh, everyone's cool. We don't, we're like a weird family. We're not like super, super like, oh, we need to see each other all the time. And like, I swear to God, sometimes I only see my whole family at, at like Thanksgiving. Um, but yeah, so I've been here pretty much in this area my whole life in between, lived in between Oakland and San Jose my whole life. Brilliant. All right. Well, um, before we get into you know, later on in your life, you ended up in law enforcement. Were there any uh, influences as growing up that you think led you towards that goal eventually? <laughs> it's funny because I had no inkling that I was ever going to be a police officer until about three or four months before I became a police officer. And I started super late in life. I didn't become a police officer. I, was, I didn't start the academy until I was 34. So, um, and I believe you started kind of late in your career also too, right? Yes. So I think it was 27, yeah. I think I was. Yeah. So um, growing up, I had uh, I didn't know any police officers. I had two cousins that were police officers and their dad was a police officer. But like I said, I'm not really super, super tight, hang out all the time with my family. Um, I had a buddy of mine that was in high school. He was my best friend and his older brother was a friend of mine. We also wrestled together. But he became a police officer. Otherwise, I didn't. I really didn't know any police officers. And I had a couple of years of my youth. I got into a lot of trouble. So I met a lot of police officers, but I didn't know any police officers. So. <laughs> well, I heard you talking about that, and I wanted to ask you. you know, there's there's a lot of people that would probably be great first responders, but they do have a slightly checkered past. Did you have anything official on record that that you had to bypass, or were you lucky not to actually get uh, anything that was too substantial? Yeah, exactly that. I, I never have any felonies. I got arrested a num number of times, um, but they were all just what's called misdemeanor, not a felony. You know what I mean? So if you have a felony, you can't carry a gun, a bunch of other stuff that you can't do. So luckily, I never did anything. Well, I never got caught for anything <laughs> that would have got, got me into a lot of trouble. Uh, uh, most of my stuff was just being a dumb, dumb kid hanging around with the wrong crowd. Uh, I was also horrible behind a steering wheel of a car i just like to drive fast and i like to drive really fast so uh, i got into a lot of trouble behind the steering wheel when i was younger so running from cops doing all kinds of things so yeah and then none of that kind of came to bit you on the ass when it was the background check um it was cool because i don't know i just kind of started to get my shit together when i was in my early 20s and like i said i didn't try and become a cop until i was 34 so I mean, I'd lived, I hadn't even, I didn't even have, when I put my application, I don't think I even had a speeding ticket or any kind of a ticket in a car in like six, seven years. I mean, I owned a house. I, I hadn't owned the, I didn't own the business yet, but, um, you know, I'd been working on the railroad for like eight years when I put my applications in. So, I mean, I was a responsible adult after that. You know what I mean? You could look back and see there was an obvious turnaround in my life. And I think that the agency that gave me the chance recognized that. 
Yeah. Well, it's very important. I've had a few guests on that have done just that. One of them, Brooke Carrasco, is a wildland firefighter. And she started off on the, the prison, you know, fire team, um, wildland crew. And then um, CDF actually have a program where if you went through that program, they kind of overlook your your charge and, and you become a, a career firefighter, which I think is great. Yeah, that's it's. I mean, everyone will tell you that, like, I went into being a police officer with a lot of life experience. And, and I mean, I'm not saying I'm the best cop, but you're you can end up being a pretty good cop if you have some life experience with you. You know what I mean? So I think it worked out to my benefit. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, you mentioned wrestling. So was was that the first sport that you really stuck with? Um. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Like that's really the first. Like I mean, I played some basketball when I was a kid, stuff like that. But uh, I really wanted to play football. Um, that was my dream growing up. I wanted to be a wide receiver, but I was a little guy. I was only like, I think I was my freshman year. I was like five one or five two, and I only weighed about a hundred and. 112. I think I wrestled 112 my first year. My mom didn't want me to play football. She said I was too small and I was going to get hurt. So I went out for the wrestling team and found a passion for it and ended up wrestling, you know, all through high school. And then I started to wrestle through college, but wrestle through college. But that's kind of about the same time when I really started partying a lot and I kind of threw that away. So, right. Because now wrestling seems to be a sport that. A lot of a lot of tough human beings have seemed to have gone through the wrestling field. Again, how did you find that prepared you for not only law enforcement but the the careers you had before that? Yeah, it's definitely uh like the practices stuff like that, and and uh, we had it. We had a tough coach, man. So you definitely learn a lot of grit. Um, man, we had some practices. I remember guys were crying in practice. Like I didn't cry, thank God. But um, yeah, it was tough and. I think that just it didn't. I didn't have a long. I had a long time doing any sports after I I stopped um, wrestling. There was a couple of years before I got back into any kind of sports again. I mean, I was in the gym working out, but not in any sports. And you know, I can always look back at that that what I learned in wrestling. Kind of just you think about oh, everything else is kind of easy. And I'll tell you, man, those wrestlers are the. When you look at someone I was competing against when I got into CrossFit, I would always look who are the wrestlers because those guys are gonna do really well and it's it's that's a fact yeah that's that mental toughness yeah i guess <laughs> they're always they're, they were always the guys to watch out for at a competition yeah absolutely and stay the hell away from on the street too if they got the cold farriers <laughs> <laughs> all right um well then so talking of combat arts then so you had a very interesting journey into the martial arts so tell me about that yeah, it's like I said, I got back into playing sports again. I played uh, one of the sports that I got into, and I played it for several years, was uh, was roller hockey. Uh, God, that was so much fun, inline hockey. And then uh, I started playing ice hockey, and it was weird because when you play inline hockey, we're at the facility that we played at, you couldn't get into a fight. Because if you're about to get into a fight, like the snack bar guys would jump onto the to the rink, the, the scorekeepers, the refs, everybody, they break it up. Cause it's in line and it's like a smooth surface and they can run, they can walk on it. So there were no, there was no fighting. And then my first game ice hockey, I go to square up with a guy and get into a fight. And I'm like, where is everybody? Oh, I guess they're going to let us fight. And we just fought and, uh, you get suspended. I got suspended a game, but I ended up like getting every other game I was fighting and then getting suspended. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
So I was uh, just training at the gym one day, and I had a buddy of mine that was a super good martial artist. I mean, he was a badass. He was a good street fighter and everything. And I was just like, hey, bro, I'm getting a, I need to learn how to fight better. And he's like, oh, go try this Krav Maga thing. And uh, that's what ended up. He trained at a gym that had Krav Maga, and I went there, and that's where I started. I don't remember what year that was. Um, it was right before I thought uh, Probably started about seven or eight months before I started trying to become a cop. Um, so that's how I ended up getting into martial arts. Just by chance, I wanted to learn how to fight better on my ice skates. That's funny. Now, with with Krav Maga, you 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 hear all these polarizing things. We, you know, we know that the Israeli special forces use it, so obviously there's an element where it's incredibly effective. But I've seen as well that there's almost like a kind of marketing. Um, Schemes the wrong word, but it was marketed in a very strange way in some areas of the U.S. where, you know, the people teaching it really didn't know what they were doing. So how were you able to find like a true form of Krav Maga versus the commercial one that we see sometimes? I was super lucky. I went to this place called Self-Defense Institute in uh, Fremont, California, and they also taught Taekwondo. They had Judo um, and they had Donzon Rue Jiu-Jitsu. That was like the all the instructors. That was probably the main thing that they did. And they got into Krav Maga afterwards. But the, the, the cool thing about it was all the instructors there loved to fight. So we didn't learn like – don't get me wrong. We learned all the Krav Maga techniques. But every day was sparring. Every day of training was sparring. Um, and I think that was just a huge difference than just learning like, oh, how to get out of a chokehold if your guy is not really – joking you, you know what I mean? <laughs> and, and, and shit like that, which don't get me wrong, the, the technique, the fundamental idea of how it works, if you're being aggressive and, and is, I believe in it. I were, I believed in doing it and learning it. And, um, but they just fought, man, we put on gloves and headgear and we, and shin guards and we were punching, kicking and like every class and they all knew how to fight. So it was great when you didn't know how to fight very well to learn how to fight from somebody who actually knows how to fight rather than just going in there and getting your ass kicked. You know what I mean? So I think I just got really super fortunate. And then besides the Krav Maga, I really got into the Danzan Ru Jiu Jitsu, which is an ancient art. I mean, that's what the samurai used when they didn't, you know, Japanese soldiers, that's what they used when they didn't have their swords. You know what I mean? That's how they learned how, how to fight each other. So it was really good. And it really, oh my God, it was phenomenal when i got into police work because everything that i learned in the academy as far as control holds and all that stuff i was all like i've been doing this for you know so long it's like simple and uh, i ended up actually teaching at the academy after a year of being a cop they asked me to come back and teach so i got super lucky with that i think i just ended up in a really good school you know brilliant now you so you mentioned about teaching i love it says just segue for a moment to that so um we had Sheepdog Response come here, Tim Kennedy and his his guys, uh, which is a two-day class for civilians, and then there's a law enforcement version. Um, and they do weapons training, and they do combatives as well, defensive tactics. Um, and it was an interesting kind of observation because they we just had the Parkland shooting. So they were that some unknown sponsor had paid for tens and tens of spots for first responders. And the civilian one, we had a whole bunch of firefighters and, and, you know, it was completely full and pretty much everyone came back the next day. But the law enforcement side, they didn't even manage to fill the class. And the next day they had a bunch of no-shows as well. Now, I'm always very clear when I 
an, any element on this show about the the dual side. You know, it's owner, you know, uh, ownership of, of the individual and obviously the administration and support and that kind of thing. But it really appeared like there was a lot of fear when people were challenged to actually be tested on their their marksmanship and then also on their their combat. And it is humbling. It is scary. So, what has been your observation of? martial arts you know in in good departments the good use and also the the lack of in law enforcement in general um well i mean i was a defensive tactics instructor for forever and not so much that guys don't want to do it there is some denial i think on uh, there is there are people that's this is a tricky <laughs> you get into a can of worms here um uh, there are people that are just like, oh, I wear a uniform, no one's going to fuck with me kind of attitude. Or at least that denial, you know what I mean? They don't, I don't think that they have any clue that, yo, man, you you might end up into a fight of your life, and are you prepared for that? And um, the other thing is departments just don't give you the time to do it. You know what I mean? I, I always found it odd that your chances of pulling a gun out and shooting somebody, which – are, you know, can happen, um, are nowhere near as much as your chance of you getting going hands-on with somebody, whether it be somebody who's just struggling a little bit and you're trying to put handcuffs on them or somebody who's going to full out, get into a knockdown, drag out fight with you, but they're not armed. You can't, you know, you can't just pull out a gun or pull out, maybe you don't have an opportunity to pull out a taser. It doesn't work half the time anyway. And there's just that kind of non-support from an agency to provide enough defensive tactics for people. And then the, the final little piece of that is cops are working so many hours and they're working odd shifts that they get lazy and then they don't want to go and learn on their own, which is basically what you have to do is go and learn on your own. So I, I have seen a little turn though that a lot more cops are getting into Brazilian jiu-jitsu on their off time. So I think at least in this area and at least at my agency that I was at, there was, a bunch of guys that were really getting into at least having that grappling skill. So, but I could see a bunch of cops not showing up for that. Yeah. Well, and then my thing is not, not criticizing the, the individual solely. It's illustrating exactly what you said. You've got, you know, poor hiring practices, for example, if your bar is set super low and anyone's walking through the door. And then you've got the, um, the ownership of the individual. And there's, there's many cops I know in town that do take jujitsu and, you know, and other, other arts. And then, like you said as well, that if you're not supporting your men and women in the very skills they need out there, then that's another part of the problem. And it's, it's not one thing. It's all those things combined. And there are people that train themselves despite working, you know, under shitty conditions. And, and no one also ever highlights the fact that these first responders that make poor decisions, you know, at the blink of an eye when some of these officers involve shootings – may have worked double shifts because they're understaffed, you know, may have not be able to go home, maybe sleep deprived, maybe under trained. And, and that's an area that I'm not trying to point fingers. I'm trying to educate. Um, and so we can improve all those factors. Yeah. That's a bad, you could watch a million videos on YouTube. Of, of, I mean, cops are, I think are one of the worst at armchair quarterbacking ourselves more than anyone. Um, and you just watch and like, you always wonder about that kind of thing. what's going on where they sleep deprived what are they making that decision for like oh what, what made you think to do that and worse yet you're you know that you're being filmed why why are you making that decision and yeah exactly what you're saying under trained uh overworked 
all of that stuff is, I think, playing out big time. Yeah. So, well, with the the martial arts side, so I know like you you mentioned jujitsu is a big go to, but I, you know, in in that um, sheepdog response, they really did a great job at showing how if you just think about jujitsu as a sport how you actually might put yourself in some very dangerous positions on the street with weapons strapped to your, your belt and that kind of thing. So if you, and I say if you were teaching it, what are, what are the elements of which arts that you brought to your officers when you were training? Like, I, I was telling guys, you know what I mean? Like, like fight dirty. Um, and then I taught like, you know, nerve stimulation movements and stuff like that there's no it's not a it's not supposed to be a clean fight i have kind of shied away from teaching stand-up fighting because you're probably not gonna really square up with some guy and start boxing with him that does never looks really good on video anyway. <laughs> no. but when you're inside with someone when you're rolling around and grappling i mean i'll punch a guy straight in the balls i don't care you know what i mean um just digging your knuckles into places that really are painful or they're not sticking their arms out. You know, there's a bunch of things that you can do to somebody that people don't see. And to be quite frankly, don't even really leave any marks. So I had no problem kind of going over that kind of stuff and at least knowing that stuff for myself too. You know what I mean? Like I said, we didn't get near enough time to train officers because of the time that, uh, they allowed us to do defensive tactics in a year. Um, the post requirement in California is like four hours every two years or something like that. It's like completely ridiculous. So how much of that stuck in people's heads when they were actually got into a fight? I don't know, but I, a street fight is completely different than a ring fight or sport jujitsu in that in those places, it's a controlled environment and there's rules and on the street there isn't. And that was just the main thing that I would reiterate that you got to always remember that. Yeah. Now, now, what about realism of training in in the uh, DTAC specifically? Because one thing I've I found as well, you know, you can you can look like a rock star on a punch bag, but then put another dude in front of you, and, and it's a completely different story. And I I used to train with the shoot shootbox in LA, and it was the closest thing to Fight Club I've ever had. And I wouldn't say I learned like a huge amount of technique, but it was certainly. Um, so it took me to a very dark place physically that you know I'll always be able to, to fall back on now. Um, when you're doing the hands-on training, do you encourage more realistic, you know, higher contact sparring so that the men and women understand, you know, the fear and the the response to that when they're out in the street? Um, we tried. So uh, one one training year, uh, one of our big, you know, every now and then we get that. Oh, you guys get to do a full eight to 10 hour block of defensive tactics training. And, uh, one year we did, uh, we try and bring, brought, we tried to bring guys to exhaustion and then we would just make two guys like grapple with each other. You know what I mean? Run them and then get on the mat and then grapple. And that wasn't too bad. It was, uh, I think it was, it was definitely eye opening for some guys just like, Oh shit, there's not, they're not stopping. You know what I mean? They keep going. And then we did good about not getting anybody hurt. I didn't have anybody break some ribs until the very last match of the very last day. Um, and then another time, we put on the Tony Blower. We had his uh, protective gear, the high gear. And uh, that shit's really good. If you want to like, really bring some realism to cops, put that stuff on them. If you're the instructors, you're going to get beat up a little bit, but it's worth it. And I think it was eye-opening for a lot of people there. Not only that, like, it's eye-opening for your fellow officers, I think, to see 
oh shit, I don't know if I really want that person there if I'm going to get into a fight. You know what I mean? Um, so it's super important, but the problem is, is that I think some agencies get really worried about people getting hurt. And then, so they want to shy away from that kind of a thing. I know I've got some pushback on that in the past and I know other agencies have also that hey, we can't, you're going to have this kind of training and we can count on, if we're going to count on one person getting injured and being out for three to four months on an injury or milking it into something even longer, you know, they don't, they don't want that to happen. So it's, you know what I mean? You're in a quagmire as an instructor, how much realism can you give somebody? And then how much, how much is your agency going to let you give? because they don't want people getting hurt so yeah and that seems to be the big uh kind of like oxymoron i guess of, of a lot of training in general like with in the fire service you know we want it to be as realistic as possible when it comes to exertion and heat and you know elements um and it seems like they've you know a lot of the, the risk management departments push all the way to the other side now where you just do something once you can't do it when it's too hot too cold raining you know you can't have too much stuff on your back um, and I think it really sets people up for failure in the real world because, you know, you fall to your level of training. And if your level of training is doing something once in, you know, in gym shorts <laughs> and then you're out in, you know, full body armor or, or bunker gear, you're, you're going to have a rude awakening. Yeah. It's, and it's, it's so crazy. Like when you think about like, God, there's so much scrutiny on like, being a police officer right now and your cops are making mistakes due to lack of training or lack of realistic training. They're not mentally prepared. And like, how easy would it be to fix that? And they just don't embrace that. Like, and I was like, everybody kind of just crosses their fingers and hope it doesn't happen to their agency that somebody gets on some YouTube video that's seen all over everywhere. And is like, the topic of every damn anti-cop discussion on Facebook. Um, and they just, it's like they literally just cross their fingers and hope it doesn't happen to them. Like it's crazy. Yeah, no, it is. And I think the reality is that there's so many things that we can do to make it safer for everyone, the citizens and the police officers. And people don't see that side. You know, like even though I mean, I've talked about this on the show, like our drug policy, like we've got, you know, men and women, in pursuits, you know, for, for in some states, marijuana or prostitution or, you know, things that are completely legal in other countries and people are actually getting health benefits from, you know. So I think we're creating an environment as well that's causing a lot of conflict on the streets that maybe if we even a approach some of those so that the members of law enforcement can truly focus on the real shitbag society. Yeah. Uh, just come on out here to California where I live, man. They don't charge anything. So. <laughs> Right. Well, um, before we get into your law enforcement journey, I know that you competed in in martial arts for a while. So tell me, tell me why you started, and then ultimately why you stopped. Um. Well, when I started doing the like the the Donzon Ru, and then the Krav Maga, and then like the UFC, the Ultimate Fighter show started to really become big. Uh, I remember, like, it was right around the, like just before the uh, first season of that Ultimate Fighter, and I was all like damn, I want to try that. I want to get into a cage and fight somebody. And uh, one of the instructors there, he, he coached a bunch of fighters. And he's like, all right, let's do that. So let's doing some training with that, training with different coaches there in different styles. And then this coach was like, hey, let me set you up with a Muay Thai fight um, as just kind of like to break you in. And uh, I ended up having my first fight in Stockton, California on a, 
I was on the undercard of a professional pro card and um, it was fun. Like I liked grappling because I had a grappling background. Like, you know, when you choke somebody and then they tap out and we put them in an arm bar or anything like that, it was fun. But I'll tell you, when you like punch somebody and like really just ring their bell and there you see their eyes spin back or anything like that, it's just so much more satisfying than <laughs> tapping somebody out. <laughs> and <laughs> I really liked it. And, and I didn't like getting hit like that so much, but it was definitely like cool. I liked it a lot more. So um, I ended up just, I never ended up getting into a, a actual cage and fighting. I started super late. Um, I don't think I even had my first fight until after I had, uh, maybe it was right before, or right after I became a cop. Um, so I was late in that start. I, I fought like 11 times, um, never professionally, always on undercards. Um, but it was fun. They did boxing. I did Muay Thai, Muay Thai and, uh, Sanchao, which is like Muay Thai, but you could also throw people to the ground and you got points for throwing people to the ground also. So it was good times. Brilliant. So what made you finally hang up your gloves, though? When I turned 40, they were like, you can't you can't fight in the police and fire games anymore. And I was like, "Uh, all right. And then, quite frankly, after doing it for a while, I started I literally did start getting like headaches like pretty regular headaches and i'm like you know what just like someone actively trying to punch you in the head is probably at my stage of life is something i could back off a little bit from now i had my fun doing it it was cool um i fought a lot of smokers and did a ton of sparring i was sparring like all the time and finally i'm just like man getting hit in the head just isn't so great anymore so i kind of just backed off from that I aged out of it. I aged out of it, lost my enthusiasm for getting hit. Yeah. Well, I think it is one of those things, you know, you can do when you're younger, but I know a lot of the MMA coaches have had on the show now, they talk about you know, that the, the intensity of sparring has lessened a lot in the gym because they realize like every time you get hit is, is brain trauma, you know? So, yeah. you know, the, the, the days of like trying to murder each other every single session, I think are starting to wane now. Yeah, I was. I, yeah, it finally got smart, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Imagine that you can't callous the brain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So then, let's take us into your your decision to to enter law enforcement, and then what your academy experience was like being a little bit older. Oh man, it's such a funny story. So I was training Krav Maga with the three of the guys that I was training with. One afternoon, were. All three San Jose cops. And uh, one of the guys who's now still a really good buddy of mine, he started the CrossFit program at San Jose Police Department out here. Um, he's like, hey, man, you should become a cop. And I was all like, okay. And uh, I went home and I told uh, my ex-wife now, uh, I'm like, hey, I'm going to become a cop. And she just like literally laughed at me out loud. She just like looked me straight in the face and started laughing. And she's like, I knew you when you were younger, nobody's going to ever hire you. And uh, I'm like, oh, well, we'll see. And I put in about five or six applications within like three or four days. And I literally, it was crazy. At that time, they were hiring a lot of cops. I remember one of the first places I went to, uh, Fremont PD, which is right next door to where I live here in Union City. They had like 500 applicants for four positions. And uh, I made it to like the final 10. Um, but I ended up getting hired like really quick, like within three months I got picked up by South San Francisco PD and my first day at the Academy, I get there and, uh, I hadn't been to any kind of school now, mind you, since I was like in my, 
you know, teen, late teens, you know, 18, 19, 20 years old, right around there was the last time I'd been in any kind of school. And uh, I show up at this academy and I sit down and they start going around the room introducing everybody. And these people are standing up and like, I wanted to be a cop since I came out of my mom's womb. You know what I mean? And I'm just like, oh, shit, what did I do? I made the biggest mistake ever. And uh, I stood up and was like, yeah, I wanted to become a cop a couple of months ago. And here I am. And then I just sat back down and I like, but I actually did really well. I ended up finishing first in the academy, uh, go figure, um, and uh, did really well and kind of just kind of took to police work really well. So that's my story. And it was actually, I think, pretty funny. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's, I had a similar experience. I'd wanted to be a fireman and then I was told I was colorblind. So I literally discounted it. They, they told me in England, you can't be a fireman, you can't be a pilot. You can't do anything fun, basically, that kids dream of doing. And then it took, it took me years later to realize I'm not the sharpest tool in the box. That wait a second, I'm not colorblind. I can see colors. That should have been a big, <laughs> big red flag, but not, not to my brain. But, um, so, it was, but it was the same thing. I was older. I had technically wanted to be, but I didn't have any, any, any fire department family. And that's where I was the odd one out. Everyone else. Oh, my dad was in the fire service. My uncle, my right. granddad, you know, so yeah, I can kind of relate to, to your experience. I thought the police academy was a blast. I had a great time. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, same with fire. So so what elements of your work prior do you think really helped you being a more mature candidate? I think it was just I was older and, and like I was I was around a lot of shady people my whole life. You know what I mean? Like uh, I just kind of hung out with the bad boy crowd and stuff like that. So I think it just helped me in law enforcement. Um, but and I got into plenty of trouble, but I always respected the police. I was never anti-police. I never was like, oh, fuck the police, and I hate the cops. And um, even though if I saw, if I thought they were, you know, didn't treat me the way I thought maybe I should have been treated, which I'm all like, well, what do I really deserve? I was breaking the fucking law, so how are they treat me? <laughs> I probably deserve it, you know what I mean? Um, some people just, that doesn't make sense to them, but uh um, like I always had respect for the police officers. Like I said, I had some police officers in my family, so I never was anti-police. And I think all those experiences that I had and there wasn't any particular job that I had that definitely benefited that because I didn't work any kind of work that would have translated into police work later. So I wish I could say that, oh yeah, this job taught me to do this and that job taught me to do that. And, um, I think it was just the life experience and, uh, I was, yeah, I don't think I can say any one job prepared me for it. Right. Yeah, well, the interaction with people up to that point. It's funny you mentioned about fuck the police, though, because I've said I've mentioned this before. You know, Ice Cube was there rapping that, and then Ice T had his song "Cop Killer," and now they both play cops on TV and films. So that, <laughs> <laughs> if that doesn't show you just how bogus the whole fucking thing is, I don't know what will. Yeah. Right. That's hilarious. <laughs> All right. Well, then I know, I, I believe at least if I got my timeline right, that you were a cop when you first found CrossFit. Is that right? That's correct. So the guys that I was um, fighting with that were in my corner, the four guys that I trained with that were my teachers at the school, they became my corner men. And then we started our own gym in 2005. We, uh, got our own keys to our own place and we were going to like do this big fight gym thing. And I just happened to hear the word CrossFit from our Brazilian jiu-jitsu instructor and it just took off from there. So what was your first workout? Did you, is there one specific you remember owning you? 
my I'll tell you my first workout, March 28, uh, 2006. So I'm coming up on uh, 14 years here. But my very first CrossFit workout was in March, um, a couple weeks away here. And it was push press and L pull-ups. I think it was three rounds of 15 and 15 or five rounds of 15 and 15. I'll tell you, like, I what, what the, I don't, had no idea really what a push press was. I just I had super strong shoulders. So like, I could military press 225 behind my neck for reps. Wow. Um, so like I was really strong, uh, overhead. So I was, I was able to just, I probably just did strict press. I have no idea. And then the L pull-ups, like I said, I had fitness coming into CrossFit. Like I was pretty fit. So, uh, I did okay. Adam. I didn't record it on .com. It was the .com workout for that day. And so it's cool. I can always go back, type in that day and see it. And then, uh, I didn't start posting right away when I started .com. It was a while. So I started, now I can go back like and look at some of the things that I did in my my results way back then, but that was my first workout. Uh, and I was hooked. I was, I, I, I built a, I built the pull-up rig in my gym that day. I went, bought a Sears rubber coated steel weeder weight set. And I used those weights and, uh, I turned, I was teaching already this like fit to fight class. And we just, I just started, you know, putting elements of CrossFit into it. And then uh, a couple months later I went and got my level one and we affiliated that gym. So yeah, I was just hooked on it. It was fun. It was like, it's like CrossFit's like a fight, right? Like you're stepping into a ring, but you're stepping into a ring with this workout and who's going to win, you know? So that's why I love it. Yeah. No, I, I got into it in 2007. So probably about a year or so after you. Um, and it was the same thing off, off the, the, uh, the website initially. But, um, you know, I saw the first few years of just being kind of ridiculed by other gym goers in the YMCA when I was doing it. And then, you know, I've talked about this before, all of a sudden then it became cool. And then the same gym goers are now asking me how you do those movements. Um, so it's been, it's been an interesting observation of it for the last 12 or so years. What have you seen as far as the, the changes in the actual CrossFit world itself? Um, I don't know. That's kind of hard to say what the, you know, what do you say? Well, shit ton of changes. Like there's, it's, it's kind of mainstream in fitness. I don't think it's worldwide mainstream yet. Like I still, my wife and I use Disneyland as a gauge. If we go to Disneyland and see somebody wearing nanos when we first started CrossFit, that was shocking. Oh, Hey, look at that. looks like that. that guy might be a CrossFitter, but to go there and it's pretty much still everybody's fat and out of shape and not wearing anything cross related. And, now, you know, here we are 10 years later since China and I've been together. She loves Disneyland. So we go there and now we see a few more people there. But it's definitely got a little bit more like you said, tell people now it's like, oh, yeah, I do CrossFit. And, and like a lot of a lot of people have heard about it now. They, they kind of know what you're saying. So full on mainstream, like, no, but that would be like the biggest change. There's just so many affiliates now and and. Everybody's doing things. I mean, you can go on and on about like the changes from 2006, just or even from the time you were there, 2007, and when you started to now. I mean, we can go on and on about changes at affiliates, changes in attitudes with owners, and changes in CrossFit. You know what I mean? Itself, HQ. I mean, the games was a big thing, and now they're making the swing towards health. So, get um, away from the competition side. So tons of changes yeah it's been a long 14 14 years for me and 13 for you right yeah no it's been interesting i know for me personally i started coaching i think it's been six years ago now specifically crossfit i coached other stuff before but um and 
you know, when I first got into it, it was, it was when certainly our gym, I think a lot of gyms were starting to get more focused on the, you know, the, the competition side. And that's where I think we were seeing a lot of the injuries that people remember, you know, everyone focused on PRs versus movement and all that kind of stuff. And then it's been interesting now to see how it's transitioned back where now finally your regular average CrossFit coach, not specialty coach, is is starting to understand the the concepts of mobility, of, of movement, of, you know, planes of motion. And, and I'm seeing that we barely, hardly have anyone get hurt in the gym anymore. So that's been a really interesting change for me. Yeah, that's awesome. It's kind of funny that you mentioned the people were getting into the competition side and like I've been I I competed in the first game and I've been I've competed in every game season since the game started in 2007 at least like trying to make it, trying to qualify, training for it. The last 2 years I've like my enthusiasm's definitely gone down in training a little bit for the games, but you know, I'm married to China Cho. She's arguably one of the, you know, best crossfitters in the world as far as female go. Um, and she's been doing our program specifically. Uh, she just took over the programming, you know, just her and I don't have any input on it right now. And then she asked me about workouts. She's been doing that for five years now for our gyms. And, uh, we've never, ever made a focus on competition ever the whole time. Like it's always just about making people stronger and more fit. And if you guys want to go do a competition, that's great. We think that the way that we train you, you're going to do well. And anyone that has gone and done a local competition or anything, they do do well. Um, but never like, hey, we want to have a – we tried having a competition class, but it's more just for fun than anything. Um, it didn't last very long because most people don't really actually want to train that way, we found out. So, um, yeah, it's, we've never had that focus on the competition side, so we got kind of lucky there. Yeah, no, that's good. We, we, we kind of cycled out of it. Our coach now is only, I think he's 21 or 22, very young guy. Um, and, uh, just, just a great, great mind, totally passionate about movement. So there's so much more accessory work. And, you know, I threw a lot of the strongman stuff in, um, to class that I did, which kind of permeated over there now as well. So I think we just, we're actually building well-rounded athletes who then, like you said, if they want to be a policeman or a firefighter or go be a CrossFit athlete, then you now have the framework that you can do any of those things on. Yeah, absolutely, man. A good foundation. Yeah. So, well, speaking of that, so what, uh, what is your perspective on what a police officer, um, you know, fitness, uh, what kind of movements would you use in, in your own people is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> it's funny. I just, I was on a uh, law enforcement podcast, and just recently they asked me the exact same thing. It was like, what, what movements would you pick? And I went with like, well, let's go with one weightlifting movement, one gymnastics movement and one Oman structural movement. And, uh, definitely I, I kept it simple. I was like, I would back squat. I would learn, I would be very proficient at pull-ups because that strength translates into a lot of things. And I would be really good at running. So, um, as far as like, if you want to just talk about overall fitness, great three movements to base off. If you're like, Hey man, I'm on a break, uh, at work. I'm just going to run into the gym. I'm going to back squat. I'm going to run on the treadmill. I'm going to do a five by 10 of strict pull-ups, five by 10 of keeping pull-ups, anything like that. You know, something that you could do on your break at the PD gym and not have to be a full fledged CrossFit member like that three times a week or four times a week would be a great, great place to start. You know what I mean? If you got the time to do a CrossFit workout and follow a regular strength training and conditioning program, 
bless you. Uh, I find a lot of cops that's kind of hard for them in my experience, or at least the excuse that they give. So, um, that's kind of what I went with as a foundation. Right. Now, what about if you want to step it up to say you're a member of SWAT team or you just, you know, a more, more driven police officer? I mean, would you say a standard CrossFit workout? Would you throw in strongman movements? Are there more, you know, kind of principles that you would add rather than just someone trying to get into it, but actually trying to really excel at their job? I would say I'm not going to, I mean, I'm biased because it's our gym, but like the programming that we do at our gym and that happens in an hour's time, I think is ideal for everyone. We have a strength program and we follow linear progression that it has us testing one rep max about once every six months. So there's always strength at the beginning and then a short, we keep them short, like a 15 minute conditioning workout to us is kind of long. Um, and, and really in our experience and what we've done over the last, the way we've been programming unnecessary. Um, sure. Like if we, if, uh, we have people doing 10, 12 minute workouts all the time, are they going to be better than people who do 20 minute workouts more often in a competition? No, probably not, but that's not what we care about. Right. So I think if you could find a, a balance of that strength training and follow a, a simple linear progression program as a cop, uh, or a firefighter or any public, you know, that kind of a military anything. And then that, that 10 to 12 minute conditioning time frame translates into so many things. Now, obviously if your agency, like my agency had a SWAT test where you had to run two miles in like 16 minutes, you're probably going to need to run a little bit, not long all the time, maybe 400 intervals on the regular. And then every now and then test that two miles, but you're probably going to have to run a little bit more, but finding a, a place where you can get that strength and that conditioning together and, it fucking works because in five years we're just putting out some beasts out there at our gym with this better following the program, people that stick to it. So that's what I would recommend. Right. Now, what about annual fitness standards? Did you, did your department have those on, on the regular cops? No, I don't, I don't know any, I don't know any local agency that does. Matter of fact, you had to pass a physical fitness standard in the Academy. And after that, it's, it's out the door. They don't, they don't do it at all. Um, I guess it came down to lawsuits and lawyers uh, so there is no standard. And if there was, I would say in my last agency, there was a shit ton of guys that would be fucked. Um, and you know, you can preach to those guys and tell them all you want. Like, it's funny. Like I'm this like big CrossFit guy. I've been around since, not since the beginning. Cause it was really kind of the official beginning was like 2003, but my affiliate was the 89th affiliate. I was like worked for HQ, um, I was in a lot of like some of the videos back in the day when they first started getting into media and uh, that was fun and great. And you would think, oh, here I am, this huge CrossFit proponent, right? But I actually never, my gym was in Union City, even when I lateral to Union City six years after I started to become a cop and I was hardcore into the CrossFit. I never tried to talk the guys that work into CrossFit. I never tried to implement CrossFit program with PD. Um, it just was my experience that guys were not that they were lazy but they were lazy um and a lot of them they don't live locally you know what i mean i don't know about where you're at but they didn't live locally they had to commute so they're working these 12-hour shifts and then they're driving you know two hours a day do the math like trying to squeeze and they have families um so trying to squeeze in working out just 
wasn't something that was happening. So I was never a huge proponent of trying to get them to join the gym and, and pushing CrossFit. Like I wasn't that CrossFitter who talked nothing about just only <laughs> about CrossFit. It wasn't, I was totally not that guy. And any cop that, that, that knew me or knows me, or if you ask them that, they will tell you that I was not that guy. Yeah. Did you ever come across um, TJ Cooper? Who's one of the very um, OGs of CrossFit. He has a, um, He's a police officer in the Jacksonville area here in Florida, and, and he still teaches to, in the academy to this day. Yeah, I've seen. I have like friends on Facebook, and I've seen his. I've seen stuff with his on Facebook. I don't know that we've. I don't think that we've ever actually met. So, uh, but I know of him. Yes, right. Yeah, he he does he does amazing things. But he uses the CrossFit in the academy. Really, really good programming, and and really sets the bar for the rest of their career. Hey, a lot of people do. Fremont PD, which is right next to us, they have a fully outfitted CrossFit gym. And one of our buddies from Jigsaw CrossFit, he goes there and coaches like a couple times a week. And then San Jose PD, I was on the staff, the HQ staff, when we um, did a level one at their PD and got a bunch of their officers trained up as coaches. And they have CrossFit classes scheduled all day long at the PD. Lots of people doing it. It's good for you. You know what I mean? Um, they just recently, since I retired, have built a functional fitness like gym at the pd so i haven't gone to check it out yet it's funny i retired 15 months ago i live a mile from the pd and i've only been back there twice since i retired so um but i need to go by there and check it out yeah well that's a good segue as well because i want to talk about that so um just kind of like myself i was basically farming for 14 years and retired just a year and a half ago um and the transitioning out is something that i see you know some first responders and, and military really struggle with, and especially if your identity is completely embedded in that profession that you were in. What were, what was your experience like, and then and then what have you witnessed with some of your peers? Um, it's funny. Like uh, some other guys have left the department, and they're like, "Oh man, dude, where have you been? You haven't come by to visit or anything." And they're like, "Yeah, so and so, he's like comes by every week, you know." Uh, for me, it was easy because I didn't really, I didn't hang out with any cops. I mean, like it's a cliche, you know what I mean? They like, always tell you, like, oh, don't just hang around with cops, or it's gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna be the, that's the, gonna lead you into PTSD and blah blah this and blah blah that. But I had the gym, and I just hung around with people that worked out, and that was just kind of the truth. I mean, my wife is, you know, training and hardcore professional CrossFitter, so. You know, our clique of people that we hang out with, we're all basically just people that all work out in some way, shape or form at usually at a CrossFit gym and a lot of them at our CrossFit gym. And so for me, leaving police work was just I did that on a just like I got into it. I got I was a whim that I got out of it like, OK, I'm going to try that. And I was gone. And so it's hard for me to like give advice about you know, how to handle retirement and some guys don't handle it well. Cause for me, I just, I just walked away. I shut that door and I opened up another door and I haven't really looked back at that door at all. Yeah. Do you think the, the gym having that tribe, you know, of members that you, you, you know, have come to the gym and you coach, um, made that transition easier rather than basically going to a, you know, an apartment complex and playing golf the rest of your life? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I'm still there. I'm actually even coaching even more now. Um, so I'm at that gym and around and it's like, it's the people that are there, they're there, whether they're there, even if they're there to like, just get out the stress of their job or whatever, when they're there, they pretty much all have that same, it's a positive attitude. You know what I mean? So you're surrounded by no matter how, and I know you said you coach now for six years. 
don't you can't tell me like oh i'm 100 percent stoked about every session i'm about to coach right no absolutely uh, not <laughs> I, I can't fucking i can't fucking wait to start coaching right <laughs> um i've been doing it for 14 years now coming up on 14 years or as 14 years if you count all my martial arts stuff that i was coaching also and i'll have plenty of times like fuck i hope nobody shows up you know what i mean and then as soon as even if it's just like three four people show up and you start coaching and it's just like you're around that that it's just this this culture and this mindset that you're in i fucking love it right so it's like i'm surrounded by a positive mindset all the time and then when you go and hang out and don't get me wrong i'm saying it always ends up this way but when you're cops, you're going around hanging around with cops all the time. What are you doing? You're probably going out drinking. You guys are talking about arrests. You're all, you know what I mean? It's just like, it's, you just talk about police work, police, police work. And then you go into it and it's police work, police ran. It's easy to like, one person has a bad attitude about fucking something in a job and that trickles into everybody else gets their badass. And now you're like, you're at the job, not enjoying yourself. Then you're off work, hanging out with everybody talking about the job that you're not enjoying and they're all doing the same fucking job. And it just, it just, it's just like, ugh. and just kind of got, you know, don't get me wrong. I love the guys that I work with. I fucking die for any of them. And they were great guys. And I went out on those occasions and with the SWAT team and stuff like that. And we drank after, after training days and stuff like that. But I just didn't hang out with very many cops. So it was an easy, super easy transition for me to retire. Yeah. Well, and you hit on the point that I've heard a lot. And I even uh, had an interview with a psychologist recently who studies this entire thing, stress in the workplace and the, the effects on mental health is, you know, you've got these men and women that are putting a badge on every day, risking their lives for complete strangers that are being then, you know, just dragged through the coals by a lot of the, the public and the media. And whether whether that's a true representation or it's probably just the extremes that we just get rammed down our throat over and over again. But also these administrations, these ones that should be, you know, creating schedules where cops aren't being, you know, worked to the ground. The same with firefighters that are being given the training, are being given the ammunition to go not just to a range, but actual proper tactical shooting. And um, and so there is a lot of a lot of misery. You know, these people are doing the jobs that we we love. Like I love being a firefighter. I absolutely love it. But. I fucking hated working for some of these administrations that I was a firefighter in. And I think that's a really, it's, it's totally under, under recognized how toxic that is on the men and women that serve. Yeah. Yeah. And not, not even to mention when you talk about toxic, it's just, I mean, every job I think in the world has that bitter person who's been there forever and just fucking hates their job, hates their life. You know what I mean? Like you don't even want to be around that person. So I mean th- that too. Yes, know, those guys are there too. So yeah. All yep. right. Well, then transitioning out, you found yourself at Tesla. I'd love to hear about that. <laughs> that was kind of a funny story. I was uh, I was working as a patrol. I was in a special assignment my last three years, but I was subbing as a patrol sergeant. And one of the guys who went out on medical retirement, great dude. Um, he uh, was stopping by. He stopped by the PD to pick up his retirement card, and he's all, "Hey, yeah, I was about. He, I'm, he just bought a house in Oregon. He's all, I, but before I bought the house, I was lined up to get this job at Tesla. They're trying to put together this protective operations team where you just like hang out all around Tesla. You don't wear a uniform. You're armed. You basically like break glass in case of emergency. And he's all, yeah, it's gonna pay X amount of money. And I was all wait, what'd you just say it's going to pay? And, uh, and I'm like, huh, 
And then I'm like, oh, give me the link for the uh, – he didn't take it because he bought the house. And he gave me the link for the um, job listing. And uh, I just kind of put it in the back of my head. I didn't think about it. And then a week later, I was like, oh, shit, I want to go check out that job. you know. And uh, I put in an application, and uh, they called me the next day. Like I put an application in, slapped together a resume, put it in, and the recruiter called me the next day, interviewed me for like a half an hour. Really weird interview. And then uh, I ended up taking the job because I did the math. Even though it wasn't near what he said, they were going to pay me still. When I did the math of that and my pension, did the whole thing, put the whole lump sum together. And I plan on working for like another three to four years anyway because I'm, I'm currently 54. I was 53 at the time, and I plan on working so I was like, you know, 58 or so. I'm healthy. I'm young. I love the job. I loved being a cop. So I was planning on staying on that long. Um, and then I'm like, well, fuck, that's a lot of money. And there won't really be people regularly trying to kill me. So <laughs> I'm all, fuck it. I'm going to do it. And on a whim, I accepted the job and put a two week notice in at the PD and everyone's like, what the hell? And, uh, here I am now working and it's, I didn't know that that job didn't pan out. It was another long story I'm doing something completely different at Tesla, but still making decent money. So it's all good. Well, what about coming from shifts? Cause that's something I talk about a lot on this podcast is, is sleep deprivation. Um, when you transitioned to be able to be at home every day, did you notice a difference on your performance and mental health or, you know, just, just mood in general? Um, I probably would have. It's a whole nother quagmire to get into, but uh, I was I ended up working on a uh, five eight schedule, but the, the Fremont factory Tesla factory is super close to my house, um, so I don't have commute issues still. And uh, uh, to be quite honest, I was drinking a ton, so like I was just not healthy anyway. And I ended up going. One of the reasons why I looked at the P well, at it was like I was going to cycle out of my specialty job. I was going to end up back in patrol again, which probably meant there's a chance that I could have to do a night shift. And I'm all just kind of was like another checklist on why not just retire. Right. And then after about four or five months at Tesla, I ended up working nights uh, and I ended up working weekend nights for like, um, God, for like a couple of months before I finally told my boss, I'm all, Hey, I'm, I can't handle this nights anymore. We're going to have to fucking bump somebody. We're going to have to move some things around. So um, I didn't actually transition into a regular day shift job. That's, I don't have to worry about working nights anymore until, um, probably like July or August. So I've been on a pretty steady right. four ten since then. Yeah. Okay. I'll ask you again then. <laughs> <laughs> well then, um, so you mentioned alcohol. I know you did an Instagram post showing when you bought, got the kegerator put in, in the gym and then how you hadn't drunk now. I, ironically, a few weeks later, it happened to, to do the same thing. I did go out with my wife's 40th and have a drink this weekend. But apart from that, um, you know, it was, was about 35 days sober and then I'm back on it again now. What were your reasons for deciding to stop the drink and then what were the results? Um, well, I mean, I kind of been a substance abuse kind of a guy my whole life. My mom's side of the family is like a with a long, like quite the pedigree of substance abusers. Um, so I drank a lot of alcohol when I was younger. Uh, I went on to this, I don't know what age I was. I was probably about 28 or something. And one day, kind of like the story of me on a whim, I was just like, oh, I'm not going to drink anymore. And I didn't drink for seven years. And ironically, I started drinking again when I started CrossFit. So uh, go figure. I don't fucking know. But 
I started drinking and it just couldn't, I just like, I have, I like, I don't drink because I'm hiding from problems or life is, I need to get away from life or anything. I just like to get fucking buzzed. Um, I love it. So I would drink, oh, I drink a couple of beers real fast and you got that buzz. Great. Perfect. The only problem is that then I don't, once my switch was on, I couldn't turn it off. And, uh, just progressively drinking heavier and heavier and heavier um, over the years. And the last couple of years, especially like just shit, man, I put kegerator in the gym. I was literally drinking like 10 gallons of beer by myself at the gym. You know, I drink like five or six beers a night and then just not making smart decisions at that point, driving home buzzed, well, technically fucking drunk. Right. Um, just, you just had an eye opening all of a sudden. I'm like, what the fuck am I doing, man? I'm like, retired i get this pension i'm like what happens if i kill somebody or what happens if i get arrested you know what i mean like more importantly like you work your whole life and then i'm gonna end up in jail because i want to get fucking buzz drinking beer and i just like man if i'm gonna cut it off i need to cut it off and uh just decide to stop drinking and here i am today and i god man i feel so good who thought who would have known alcohol is so bad for you like i had no idea <laughs> i know only someone should have told me <laughs> yeah i mean i wish literally i i feel amazing well good good yeah it, it's it's the elephant in the room in our professions without a doubt you know and and you know that we focus on now but these people are talking about opiate um you know uh, addictions and things like that but but alcohol is the one that i see not only myself you know but all, all my peers as well we, we we drink when we celebrate we drink when we commiserate yeah. um yeah you know, it's and acceptable it, yeah and it's funny you said that you started when when you started crossfit because that wasn't too long after you started as a policeman too, working shifts and you know seeing the shit that you saw yeah so it, it's and it was weird because the first agency i worked at was during my dry time and so when i lateraled to union city that's when i when I pretty much when I started drinking and then when I went back to a party, I went to a wedding or something with a bunch of South city guys and I was like drinking and getting hammered and they're all like, who the, who the fuck are you? <laughs> uh, so yeah, it was, um, I drank a lot, man. No, I'm not gonna lie. And, like it was just something that needed to stop. And, uh, it's funny cause my wife's China, she still drinks. She'll, she'll drink a couple bo- a couple bottles of wine a week. You know, she has her certain nights that she allows herself to drink. Um, and I'll pour the wine for her, no problem. But normally it would be taking off a bottle of wine and then, oh, hey, why don't we just crack open another one and have another glass or two? You know what I mean? So um, it's been a nice change. And it's like my improvement. Even her, she's all like, wow, you look you look good. And I'm feeling good. I'm working out a lot lot better than I was. It just like was affecting everything in my life, man. I'm just so much more. I'm a productive human being now. It's so much better. Now I got a question for you because I I I drank, you know. Normally when I was off shift, so as a firefighter, that's like three four times a week. Um, I've never never been a binge drinker, so I I drank to unwind. But you know, again, now you you start it's it's a slippery slope. Now I'd be like, well, I'll have one with with lunch. That'll be that'll be fine. Um, but my self talk was always, yeah, but I worked out in the morning. I'm getting all this done, so clearly it's not affecting me. Did you have the same kind of thing where you're like, well, I'm an elite athlete, you know, I, I'm, I'm doing all these things, so therefore I can I can do it as well as drinking? Yeah, no, I mean, uh, for me, it was almost like my, I wanted it to be my identity. Oh, look, I can fucking party and still train and make the CrossFit games. You know what I mean? Like, wow, Fred, that's like something to really be fucking proud of. Um, 
So yeah, for me, I, but but see, for me, it was like I never drank until after I worked out. So for me, working out suddenly became something I had to do before I could start drinking, um, instead of something that I really wanted to do or or you know needed to do. However you want to look at it, but it became the thing that I had to get out of the way. So that, oh, now, it's, now I'm done working out. Now I can start pounding down beers. You know what I mean? And that first beer after workout anyway is like the best beer on the fucking planet. So um, that's where the issue got for me. Like I realized that that was my goal in life and not like everything else that I've been working for and doing was not the goal of life. My goal of life was like to hurry up and get the rest of my life out of the way so I can get buzzed. Um, yeah, so – it didn't really spread too much into like, oh, I'm drinking before work or I'm drinking at lunchtime. Don't get me wrong. We go out to lunch on a day where I don't have to train or I trained earlier in the day. Fuck yeah, I'm down. I'm having a Bloody Mary at breakfast or whatever. But I always did manage to get work and training out of the way. But then like your training is like, oh, well, maybe I don't need to do all that. I can do this instead because that's much easier. And then I can start – I can have my beers afterwards. You know what I mean? So – that's kind of different now Yeah, in, no. a, in the couple of months that I've been sober. Excellent. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I feel that myself, even my skin, people will start to say I look younger. I'm like, well, the only thing I've done is stop drinking. Everything else, you know, was, uh, was the same. So yeah, but it is something that I see people use as a crutch because it's legal, which, you know, I don't think it should be illegal by any means, but I don't think that we're seeing, um, how much we are leaning on it to compensate for for whatever's missing you know in our lives because it obviously it is it's if, if everything was 100 percent, you might have a beer once in a while maybe but most of us drink a lot lot more in, in our communities yeah no that's like totally acceptable it's totally acceptable right well i want to transition to some closing questions so i can let you go um is there a person you'd recommend to come on this podcast as a guest to speak to the first responders military and associated professions of the world Man, if you could get like, um, there's some cool people that I've met in my CrossFit travels. Luckily, like, you know, we've had an opportunity to travel around and meet a lot of people. Uh, I like one big influence for me is Tony Blower. Have you had him on the show? I have had Tony, yes. Yeah, Tony's just a fucking amazing dude. His whole mindset about, you know, self-defense and everything is and fear and all that is great. Uh, I love to listen to Tony talk. He's just such a great guy. And then, um, do you know Andy, Andy Stump? Have you had a chance to? Uh, yeah, I've had Andy on as well. Yeah, I, I gotta go. Look. I only got to like 200 on you, so I didn't get to see everybody and spend your guests. Like, it sounds like you already had everybody that's like really cool to talk to. Um, hey, man, have you got Dave Castro on the show? Not yet. He would be, he would be great, especially being an ex yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, yeah. I think those those three guys would be freaking awesome. And then you know what? There's a, a interesting. I go well. You didn't have John Wellborn on the show, did you? Not yet. Is he CrossFit football? Yeah, he was. He's Power Athlete HQ now. Right. Um, he would be a good dude. You know, he actually was a reserve cop for a while. It's, that's a whole other story and the kind of funny story about how he did that. But um, uh, everything like I learned coaching wise, I learned from him. And then he had a guy that was on his staff that was his personal trainer when he was playing football. Uh, Ralph Ruiz, uh, that would be a really cool cat. He does a lot of training of tactical teams down in Florida. He's trained a lot of professional athletes. Uh, really good dude. He'd be definitely somebody. I love listening to him talk too. Uh, him and John, like like John, you think of like, oh man, he was this offensive lineman 
Um, literally like one of the smartest dudes I think I've ever met in my life. He's just like an incredible wealth of knowledge. Um, super like articulate. I mean, he's got his degree in rhetoric. So, which is basically a degree in like arguing with people. Right. <laughs> oh, so yeah, he's like be a great guest. Brilliant. Yeah. I would love to reach out to them. And then the another one I know that your wife trains with is Rich Froning. I've, I've still yet to get him on. So I think being a oh. fireman, he'd be a good person too. He would really, really good. I, I mean, I, maybe I can try and help you up with that. I don't like to ask Rich for things. You know what I mean? I'm not that kind of guy, but um, he definitely would be a good guy. So Rich is just like, I got to know him now that my wife's on the team and stuff. I mean, we've known him since 2010 and we've crossed paths. My wife was on the team, the U.S. team with him back in 2015. But now that she's training with the team regularly, we've hung out, we've spent weekends with him. He's just such a great dude. Like, just a really good dude, man. A really, a really good, decent fucking human being. Like, just a great guy to be around. So, um, he would be an excellent guest. Yeah. It's awful to see the, the tornado smash through Cookville. I know he was okay. Yeah, I but know. It was horrendous seeing what happened to the town. Yeah, they're doing a lot of good... Uh, charity work over there for the community so it's kind of cool to see that going on everybody pulling together on that absolutely all right well then the last question before we make sure everyone knows how they can find you what do you do to decompress when you're not coaching and now not drinking (laughs) (laughs) um shit i don't know man i'm like i get home and i just kind of like basically we turn on a tv and just dummy out you know what i mean like that's about it i just finished watching the the um, Formula One series on Netflix season two. Ah, damn, it's so fucking awesome. I should have been a race car driver in my life. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's that's pretty much it. I'm not drinking and I'm not, you know, we're at the gym most, I mean, literally I'm like, I, I go to work, I'm at the gym in the morning, I'm at the gym in the night. You know, China's working out five hours a day, so we're always at the gym. Um, Basically, that, that place is kind of my decompressed, I guess. And then we get home and it's just kind of turn the brain off, turn the dummy tube on and kind of just hang out there for a little bit and sleep. So I wish I had some exciting thing to tell you that I do in my off time, but uh, currently that's pretty much my life. There's not a lot of decompressed time, I guess. Yeah, I sleep. That's what I do. Degress is great. <laughs> <laughs> that's the best thing. All right. So then um, for everyone, uh, how can they find you online or if they want to reach out to you? Um, well, you can reach out to us at the gym if you ever want to contact me for anything. You just reach Freddie and I spell my name with a Y at Good For You CrossFit. Uh, and then on social media, my Instagram's Freddie Camacho65, all one word. And then on Facebook, I'm just Freddie Camacho. So uh, pretty easy to find. All my, all, my, all my stuff's public. It's been public since I was you know, a cop or anything. I never was really one to like worry about that kind of thing. And it's paid out all right for me. Nobody tried to stalk me or hunt me down so i'm um, pretty easy to find you can google google me i'll, I'll pop up somewhere just google <laughs> freddie camacho crossfit uh, i'll show up somewhere i think it'll probably be me with some picture with china of course yeah it's in her shadow <laughs> yeah her bag bitch that's what i that's my job <laughs> All right. Well, I just want to say thank you. It's been a great conversation and, and, and a very unique perspective, obviously, with entering law enforcement later and then transitioning out again when, when the time was right. So I really appreciate you taking the time to speak to everyone. Thanks. Thanks for having me on, man. I'm actually really looking forward to going back and, uh, and going through your list of quarter of a million candidates, it seems like, and uh, <laughs> listening to some of it is going to be really good. 